Well, I want to make a connection between uh, two important Sundays. One was my final Sunday just, just a little less than a month ago at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania, where I've served for the past 17 years, and this Sunday, my first Sunday at Prince of Peace, a new beginning, not only for me and our family, but, but for all of us together. I want to connect these two Sundays the Sunday of my final uh, Sunday morning sermon and worship service at St. Matthew's, we read from the Old Testament uh, the, from the prophet Isaiah. You will remember uh, Isaiah said, Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Now, I love that passage from Isaiah's prophecy because it is so rich in imagery. I love the verbs, the action in that passage. Those who not just, you know, try to do the right thing, not just try to avoid doing the wrong thing, but those who are in pursuit of righteousness and those who seek the Lord and those who look to the rock from which we are hewn and the quarry from which we are dug, calling us back to our Origins, And it reminded me also that language of a recent trip. Just a few weeks prior to that, we had been up north in the Ely uh, area, and there we, we visited a, uh, a rock quarry known by the locals as the Rock Crushers. And it's a, it's a beautiful place, sheer cliffs all around, uh, a deep reservoir of water, crystal clear, 100 feet deep. So you can imagine... For many, many years, kids have gone to this quarry to jump from those cliffs into that crystal clear water below, and we were there to do just that uh, not so long ago. If uh, Nick can put up, this is our daughter Clara, our 10-year-old, and she is standing uh, on the edge of that cliff trying to muster up the courage to jump into the waters maybe 40 or 50 feet below her. And she stood there quite some time. I was trying to film it with my phone, but I thought I might run out of capacity uh, as she stood and stood and stood trying to get up the courage to jump. Uh, so uh, I finally uh, edited down the clip to a reasonable little short uh, length. So let's take a look and see whether or not Clara does come up with the courage to jump from that cliff. Nice, honey. That's really, it's really a cool spot. And I asked her, what were you thinking, honey? What were you thinking in your mind? And what finally got you to jump? And she said, well, I, at the end, I imagined I was being chased by a villain. And I thought, who even uses that word, you know, a villain? Uh, there are times in our lives, all of us, when we are called upon to make some sort of a leap. Sometimes the leap is of our choosing, uh, as is the case for us, our family at this point. Sometimes the leap most certainly is not of our choosing. It comes about due to an illness in the family, or the loss of a job, or a broken relationship, or even the death of someone dear. 
And so we are suddenly faced with an alternative in our lives, and we're not really sure about entering into that, and it requires of us a leap. And in either case, whether this leap is of our choosing or it is kind of forced upon us, in either case, the question is whether it will only be a leap or will it also be a leap of faith. Prince of Peace Lutheran Church now steps up to the edge of the unknown a little bit this morning. And I don't want to overstate the case because this church is blessed with an abundance of gifted staff and and lay leaders, as I've said, who have been here long before I showed up. They have been serving and leading and teaching and preaching and reaching out to those in need. Even so, this whole process, the process of working toward calling a new senior leader and finally uh, accomplishing that task. This whole process is fraught with layers of uncertainty, uh, to be sure. Having to say goodbye to Pastor Mark, who's got a reputation around the church as one of the most seasoned and gifted uh, senior interim pastors around. He served a large kind of famous congregation out in Pennsylvania, where I, near where I was serving uh, years ago. And in fact, I want to say, if you've had the thought pass through your mind more than once while Pastor Mark was here, well, why can't we just keep him? Uh, I don't want you to feel any sort of uh, guilt whatsoever about that. I certainly would have thought that. In all of this transition, there is an element, at least, of jumping into the unknown, of making a, a leap Will it be a leap of faith? Our family is also stepping up to the edge of the unknown. We are leaving behind a home, the only home our daughters have ever known, a home that we have loved for the past 17 years. We are leaving behind a community of faith in Christ, which has which has defined our lives in so many ways for these past 17 years. The only church our two daughters until this moment have ever belonged to. Just several weeks uh, ago, as we prepared to move back home to Minnesota, and that's what it is for us, it's a move back home, back to be closer to our our family, our relatives, and that's already been a blessing in, in so many ways. But just a few weeks ago, as we prepared to leave our house for the last time and, and, and come to Minnesota, uh, we were really about to start over. I would lead a big uh, congregation in a busy northern suburb of Minneapolis. Lori and the girls had yet to even set foot on the campus of Prince of Peace at that time. They hadn't even seen the place yet. Uh, one week before our girls would start in their new schools and in a new state, one week before they showed up for the first day of class, we didn't even quite know where we would be living uh, when they started that class. If you're wondering, where we do live is at the Country Inn and Suites in Brooklyn Center. Uh, <laughs> a lovely place, I recommend it. Uh, however, last night it was kind of party central. Uh, Yeah, and I was sleeping out on the fold-out couch because I wanted to get up early and be here, you know, wide awake and alert. And about 2 in the morning, there was a pounding on the door 
right next to ours. I let it go on for, I will say, a full five minutes before I got up and I stuck my head out there in the hall and I saw a girl. She was dressed in what appeared to me anyway to be kind of a bridesmaid's dress. And she looked over at me and I went. <laughs> and she said, I'm trying to get them to let. I said, go downstairs. There's a phone in the lobby. Call the room and let it ring. If they pick up, they'll let you in. If they don't, they just probably don't even want you to come in. But please, I have to preach in the morning. And she looked at me and said, oh, okay, and as if it was just a genius idea that never occurred to her. She had a cell phone in her hand. Uh, all along the way, this process, we have believed, our family, that God is with us, that while we're entering into this new phase of our lives together, uh, by the way, it's our anniversary this morning, my wife and I, so that's a wonderful, this is a great way to celebrate it, thank you. Thank you. And, and we have believed that God is calling us forward into this future, bringing us together with the people of Prince of Peace. And we, we couldn't really know what this was all going to look like or how it was going to start or what it all exactly means, but we believe that our God does know, and it's God who calls us together and calls us forward. So this whole event for our family has been one great big leap of, of faith. When Jesus entered the temple... Chris just read for us. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and, and who gave you this authority? In other words, they asked Jesus, just who do you think you are? Last month when I preached my final sermon at St. Matthew's, we were back in Matthew's 16th chapter, and the question then, and Jesus was doing the asking, was who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? Jesus was asking this of his closest followers, of his disciples, and when Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, he's talking to the church. So Jesus was asking us, who do you say that I am? Let's hold on to these two questions and who it was who asks them. The religious elite asking Jesus, who do you think you are? And Jesus asking his followers, who do you say that I am? 21 years ago, as I completed my seminary education, the synod in southeastern Pennsylvania got wind that in my profile I had indicated if the opportunity arose, I would be willing to go ahead and serve an inner city congregation somewhere. After all, I grew up on the rough and tumble streets of Bloomington, Minnesota. I mean, I, I, got, I got some street smarts about me. And they got word of that, and they decided, well, we're going to fly this young kid out here and show him around. So the bishop himself drove me around inner city Philadelphia and showed me seven different congregations, Lutheran churches in the city, who had been for a long time, each of them, hoping and praying for some pastor who would be willing to come and serve their congregation in their neighborhood. And it was a mind blower. I mean, I walked the neighborhoods around these congregations with crack vials uh, crunching underneath my feet and saw the boarded up row homes and the boarded 
boarded up churches, even the ones I was being asked to consider serving. And I stayed that night after this tour of these seven churches in the seminary's dormitory, but there were no classes in session, so I had the whole place to myself, this big lonely school laying on one of those bare plastic mattresses. And I remember laying there that night and asking myself, uh, what were you thinking, really? <laughs> uh, well, what have you gotten yourself into? And, and then I started to have this more insidious question in my mind, do I really even want to be a, a pastor? Have you ever had doubts when you're facing a big time of transition about which way God might be leading you? Well, the decision just to stay in the process at that point in southeastern Pennsylvania was for me a leap of, of faith. I returned to Philadelphia a couple of months later and I interviewed with the good folks at Atonement Lutheran Church in the neighborhood, inner city neighborhood of Fishtown, Pennsylvania, uh, Fishtown in Philadelphia. I stayed in the tiny spare bedroom of the council president, Palmer Reap, and his wife, Sandy. I mean, their room was here, and then a little bathroom, and then my room was right here. And the next morning, I got up, and I put on a suit and a tie, much like this, for the interview with the call committee. We sat on metal folding chairs down in the old church basement. I could tell right away that these faithful working-class folks were suspicious of me because of the way I was dressed. But they ended up issuing me a call to come and serve their congregation, and I accepted it And for four years. We had this wonderful, incredible adventure of ministry just leading up to my first service there. We were at a, a fundraiser the Saturday before the first Sunday. We were at a fundraiser for the church. It was a, a beef and beer, which is real common in Philadelphia. And I, first of all, you know, at Atonement Lutheran Church in Bloomington, we never had beef and beers, and I didn't know, should I be condoning this even, and should I attend it? I just got here, and the people I trusted in the congregation said, oh, you have to come to it. So, you know, I did. I sucked it up. I went to the beef and beer, and I, I was there when I got a phone call, um, and the phone call was for me, and they, they said there's been a tragedy and I had to get back to the neighborhood because the 25-year-old son of Palmer and Sandy, the good folks I was staying with in the row home, had died of a drug overdose in his little tiny row home down the street from the church. He was 25 years old. I had watched the Super Bowl with Richie when I was there for the interviews, and I was looking forward to connecting with him because I was aware of his drug use history, that he had been clean for some time, and I cannot even begin to describe for you the, the, the room that I had to enter into where his dad, Palmer, and his mom, Sandy, followed me up the narrow steps to Richie's bedroom where we had a time of prayer. It was Palmer's practice to get to the church early on Sunday morning to make sure that the old boiler in the church basement would fire so there'd be heat in the sanctuary for worship. And I looked out my window of the parsonage, which was separated from the church only by a narrow alleyway, 
on that Sunday morning, the Saturday after Palmer and Sandy lost their son, Richie, I looked out my window to see Palmer making his way up the front steps of the church to make sure that boiler fired. And so began my ministry in Philadelphia. Four years of rich, rewarding, challenging ministry, and finally Lori and I decided that the time had come for us to move on. 21 years ago, I loaded up everything that I owned in a little blue Isuzu pickup, and I set out for Philadelphia. And as I uh, gathered with my family there and I prepared to depart, I, I realized that I didn't think people were kind of getting what was happening here. I mean, I had come and gone a lot up to that point. Starting in high school, I disappeared every summer and went and worked at the resort in northern Minnesota and on Gull Lake, but I always came back, and then I went away to... Uh, college and not too far just to Gustavus but and I always returned and in the summers I'd go back up to the resort and I returned and then late in my college uh, uh, career my cousin and I uh, went to Florida for a semester for this uh, internship uh, but I returned from there and then after college before I started seminary I took a year off and I went away to Alaska for a year but I came back you know so I was getting ready now to leave for Philadelphia, and I was thinking to myself, well, I guess people aren't reacting strongly enough because, you know, I just come and go. But I knew in my heart that this time was different. I remember saying it out loud even as I prepared to get in that little blue pickup with all my stuff and leave. I don't think you people get what's going on here. I was going to be gone a long time this time, and I... I drove off, and I didn't even get halfway through Wisconsin before I drove into a big thunderstorm, and the, my wipers were going wide open, and the wiper on the driver's side at one point just went, whoop, and went right off the truck. <laughs> I couldn't see a thing. I, it was a Sunday afternoon. I had to pull off and try and find somebody to help me. I needed help a lot throughout this, this journey, and I always received it. The time came for Lori and I to move out of Fishtown, and we thought we'd come back to Minnesota, but the bishop stayed after me, Bishop Almquist at the time. He wanted me to consider this church in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania. It was a church at risk, a dying church, a struggling church, and I went out there on a, on a weekday by myself. It was a sunny day, and I remember walking on the, across the, the cemetery, the old cemetery out behind the church, and it's, the church sits up on a hill so you could see out across the rolling hills, uh, horse farms and covered bridges. It was so beautiful. And I thought, boy, what a great place. I wonder if Lori would be open to thinking about maybe coming. It was only an hour west of where we were in Fishtown, but it was a whole different world. But we had decided we were probably coming all the way back to Minnesota at the time. I remember reading the names on the tombstones as I walked through that old cemetery and wondering about these people and wondering about if this were a place I could come and serve and maybe we could live. And finally, Lori came home from a trip, and uh, I said, you want to go out and look at this place? So we went out, and we knew that if we, if we were called to this church, we'd be living in the parsonage. It was a cool old uh, house built in 1903. And we hadn't spoken to anybody from the congregation yet, not anyone. We hadn't put ourselves in the process or made ourselves available for interviews. We wanted to see what, would it, what it would feel like. I wanted to know what Lori thought. So I thought it would be cool if we could get into this house because that's where we'd be living 
but I couldn't call anybody and ask them to let us in because I didn't know if we'd even put ourselves in the process. So I tried all the doors. They were locked. It was getting dark. I, I went around. I found a cellar out back, and I, uh, I pulled on it. It was kind of stuck, so I pulled really hard, and it popped open. I thought, ooh, okay. So uh, Lori's like, we can't go in there. But we did. We went in. We were looking around, and we thought, oh, we could, we could live here. This is neat. And uh, so I was reflecting on this the other day with the folks at St. Matthew's. My introduction to the congregation could well have come from the local township police, but that didn't happen, fortunately. And, and they called me to serve as their next pastor, and I accepted when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So Jesus told them a story, a story about two brothers. A man had two sons. He needed work done out in the vineyard, and one of the sons said, I got it, Dad. I'll be out there to do my share in just a moment. But he never got around to going, and the other son said, I'm not really feeling it today, but eventually he did go out there and put in a day's work, and Jesus wanted to know which of these sons did the will of his father. Now, I didn't choose this gospel reading for this day. I could have chosen any scripture that I wanted to for this special new beginning, but I went with the pitch. This is the uh, gospel uh, given to us from the lectionary. So churches all around the world, in fact, who use the common lectionary are considering this passage this morning. Our friends at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Chester Springs are looking at this gospel reading. I have a lot of friends and ministry partners in Tanzania. I'll be telling you about them along the way, and they're considering this same gospel reading this morning. No, I didn't choose these verses for today, but I probably would have because they focus on two of the biggest questions which we will pursue together in the coming months and the coming years. Who do we say Jesus is? And what does it mean to belong to his church? The religious elites did not appreciate Jesus rearranging the furniture out there in the temple courtyard, tossing over the tables of the money changers. And so, just exactly who do you think you are, they demanded. And Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons, and one talked a good game, but he never really followed through. The other one was hesitant to commit, but in the end, this kid put his money where his mouth was. He went out and did what his father was asking him to do. Which of these sons did the will of his father? Now, Jesus knew that these questions would be coming up about his authority, about his identity. And so a while back, he asked his own followers. He asked the church. He asked you and I. Who do people say? that the Son of Man is. And they said, well, some John the Baptist and others Elijah and some Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's lofty praise, to be sure. But they're really only saying back to Jesus what they've heard out there in the crowds. And so Jesus turns to his followers and asks them, asks us, 
Who do you say that I am? And this is when Peter makes one of the greatest leaps of faith in all of Christian history. Nobody said it out loud yet by this point in the gospel, but Peter steps forward and speaking on behalf of himself, maybe on behalf of the whole group, Peter makes the greatest leap of faith in all of Christian history because he steps forward and says out loud, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And everything stops. The earth tilts on its axis just a bit. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't get that one from your buddies. That one came from God. Listen, Prince of Peace, I suppose it requires some courage to say that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because once you make that leap of faith, it is necessarily going to impact your life. It is going to show up on your calendar at inconvenient times. It's going to appear on the ledger of your checkbook. You're going to see it reflected in your credit card statements. You might find yourself making hundreds of sandwiches that you will never eat. You may find yourself in Jamaica, but not staying at the Sandals Resort. You could find yourself in a mud hut on the lower slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro praying for some old woman. You might find yourself teaching Sunday school, chaperoning a youth trip. Because that's what it means to belong to the community of faith in Christ. Each of us bringing our gifts, our abilities, our passions, bringing them to strengthen the mission and the ministry that we are called to. To always be moving toward putting this faith into practice. Which of these two sons did the will of his father? Now I realize all of this church stuff, all of it, can, can appear to be so tame, so polite, so safe, so domestic. It's all coffee cake and fellowship. It's choir rehearsals and, and, and knitting and quilting. It's Bible studies and pizza parties. It's, it's safe. It's tame, but the the impact, the meaning of this place, the mission and the ministry we share, it all adds up to so much more than the sum of its parts. And what we are about here at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, what we are about here is neither tame nor safe. Building a prevailing, thriving, growing community of faith in Christ in this culture, in this city, in this economy, in this day and age, you better believe it takes faith. It takes guts. It takes following through on commitments. After the breaking and entering uh, incident there in the parsonage, 
17 years ago, I ended up interviewing with that call committee at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania, and I accepted the call to serve as their senior pastor, and that's what I've been doing for the past 17 years. And I left St. Matthew's with enough stories of faithful followers of Jesus who have lived out or are living out their faith in real ways to last me many years. And along the way, I'll introduce some of them to you. And I want you to know that I have already met such people here at Prince of Peace. Many of them, in fact, in my 17 years at St. Matthew's, I had the privilege of standing next to the open graves of so many of those faithful people now laid to rest in that old country cemetery out behind the church. And how different it felt to me just a few weeks ago as for the final time I walked through that cemetery on a sunny day and I looked at the names on those tombstones and so many of those names now are of people who helped me to understand what it means to be a member of Christ's church in this world. Names like Butler and Clyde and Mary and Helen and Max and Charlie. We can, we can think of the church this way. There are a series of circles, and, and some of us are in the inner circle. It is a circle where we are fully engaged in the ministry. We're at the church all the time. The, the, our calendars are littered with church events some of us are paid staff, but others are volunteers, and we go to bed at night worrying about this ministry or that or this responsibility or that. We live and move and have our being closely connected to the community of faith in Christ here at Prince of Peace. We are in this inner circle, but there's another circle out beyond that. And these are the folks who are, they almost never miss a Sunday. You're here all the time. Uh, but you haven't really moved into other areas of the church's ministry. Uh, you've thought about it, maybe, but you haven't attended maybe a Bible study or, or gone on a mission trip or chaperoned a youth trip or gotten involved with a Sunday school or a choir or some other ministry at the church. And there's a group out behind that, another circle wider beyond that. And you, you come to church on, on a regular basis, not all the time, and you attend occasionally a special event here at the church, and that's... That's great. And there's, there's this other circle out beyond all of these. And there's interim circles in between. I'm just kind of sketching out the big ones. And this one way out there on the fringes, there are people who have driven by. It's happening right now. Some of them dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, and it's crossed their mind time and time again. I ought to go to that church sometime. I ought to just check it out. I ought to go to worship. I haven't been to church since I was a kid or whatever their story is. Some of the people outside of that circle, they are hurting in some sort of way. They are broken. They might be grieving. They might be seeking. They might be curious. They might wonder if they'd be welcome here. For some years, I understand the arrows have been kind of pointing, been pointing outward here at Prince of Peace. The, the, the flow has been moving outward a little bit. In other words, folks who had one time been in this inner circle fully engaged, 
there's been some tendency for them to be drifting out into the next circle. And for the folks, you know, who were here, there's some tendency for them to, and there, and, and there are this group of, of regular worshipers who have, who have drifted outside of the community altogether. They're, they're out, out here. As we mark this new beginning together, my challenge to the congregation, my challenge to you personally, is to think about helping me and Jim and all of our staff and all of our volunteers turn those arrows around, get them facing back in. And wherever you happen to be on that whole spectrum, and God bless you wherever you are, whichever circle you find yourself in, I'll encourage you to think about what it might mean for you to be moving toward a circle further in. Because I promise you, as Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I promise you, the, the sweetest, the most abundant life available to us in the church is, is the further in you get to that center, that core where people are engaged together in mission and ministry. That's where it is. But wherever you are, just consider turning inward and, and, and help, help all of us let those who, know, who, have, who have either moved out of the circle, they're out on the fringes, or those who have never even uh, been a part of the community yet, let's be thinking about ways we can invite them in. I promise you I'll do my part. You, you bring a neighbor, a friend, a family member. I'll do my best to open up this word so that they might hear it clearly and might know that it, it is meant for them. And I realize what I'm asking takes some courage. I'm asking for a move out of our comfort zones. It's time to move in a new direction. And for some of us, it's going to require a leap. Let it be a leap of faith. Let's watch Clara one more time make her decision whether or not to jump as each of us considers our own. Nice, honey. Tough as nails. Clara, good job.